Bismillah, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah, ve salatu ve selamu ala Resulullah ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve men velâ ve sellem ve zelu bârik ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Bismillah. We are on uh, the section about the actual janazah prayer now. So, قَالَ الْمُسَنِّفُ رَحِمُهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى وَنَفَرَ اللَّهُ وَيَعْهُ بِعْلُمِ فِي الدَّارِينَ أَمِينَ الصَّلَاةُ عَلَيْهِ فَرْدُ كِفَايَةٌ وَكَيْفِيَّتُهَا أَنْ يَقُولَ نَوَيْتُ الصَّلَاةَ لِلَّهِ تَعَالَى وَالدُّعَى لِهَذَا الْمَيْتِ وَيَنْوَ الْمُقْتَدِي الْمُتَابَعَةَ أَيْضًا ثُمَّ يُكَبِّرُ فَيَقْرَأُ الثَّنَاءَ وَجَازَتُ الْفَاتِحَةُ ثُمَّ يُكَبِّرُ ثَانِيًا فَيُصَلِّي عَلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ ثُمَّ يُكَبِّرُ ثَانِيًا ويقول اللهم اغفر له وارحمه وعافه واعف عنه وأكرم نزله ووسع مدخله واغسله بالماء والثلج والبرد ونقه من الخطايا كما ينقى الثوب الأبيض من الدنس وأبدله دار خير من داره وأهل خير من أهله وزوج خير من زوجه وأدخله الجنة وأعذه من عذاب القبر وعذاب النار ثم يكبر رابعا ويسلم ولا يستغفر لصبيا ومجنون ويقول اللهم اجعله لنا فرطا واجعله لنا أجرا وذخرا واجعله لنا شافعا مشفعا So he said رضي الله The funeral prayer janazah is a communal obligation فرد كفاية فرد كفاية um, the ruling of a fard kifaya is that it's a communal obligation, meaning not every single person is responsible for doing it, but rather the community as a whole is responsible for some people doing it. So uh, if you have the entirety of Orange County, not all of Orange County has to pray. Uh, Janaza on the person, but some people do. Someone has to pray Janaza on the person. Uh, this is the same for uh, washing the body, preparing the body, burying the body, praying the Janaza. All of them are Fard Kifaya. Um, Dr. Omar has a beautiful expression as regards to Fard Kifaya that not everyone is responsible for doing it. Some people are responsible for actually doing it. And the other people are responsible for materially and morally supporting those who are doing it. And uh, the Furud Kifaya are a very important topic. He has a section on it, Hafidhullah, in his paper on is Living Islam with Purpose, uh, which is an important read and has a section on stressing societal obligations. You can read more there if you'd like to and you have not already. Uh, it is performed by saying in one's heart, I intend to pray for the sake of Allah Most High and to supplicate for the deceased. The follower should additionally intend to pray behind the Imam. One then says the first takbir. This is the only one when the hands are raised. Okay, and all and all four takbirs are made out loud. Well, the closing two salams are said silently. Hala Jadid. Hmm. That needs some review. But Sheikh Faraz is uh, always reliable, mashallah. Uh, but anyways, this is the only takbir when they raise their hands. We'll get to that. Uh, so the only exception to the raising hands thing for the, you know, is in the Eid prayer for the Hanifis. So, uh, and otherwise, you're not raising your hands other than the opening takbir. Uh, it is the one then says the first takbir. To commemorate, to commence the prayer and recites the opening supplication, the thana, Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik tabarakasmuk tu taala jaduk wa la ilaha ghayruk. Although it is permissible to recite the Fatiha, okay. If if one chooses to recite the Fatiha, 
then they recite the Fatiha with the intention of Dua, not with the intention of Quran. They recite it with the intention of Dua, not with the intention of Quran. So, but generally the school is to do the Thana. Then, uh, then makes a second takbir after which he sends blessings upon the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And the Salah Ibrahimiyah, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kima salli ta'ala Ibrahim. Or Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad kima salli ta'ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa ala ali Sayyidina Ibrahim ila akhiri. To the end of that. Uh, then they make the third takbir. And they say this following dua. They say they make dua basically about the hereafter. Uh, reciting or uh, supplicating for themselves, for their parents, for the deceased, and um, they can use um, like this dua that's here, or they can make a general dua as long as it's in Arabic and kind of you know related to the topic. So, this dua that's commonly made is Oh Allah, forgive him and have mercy on him. Give him well-being and pardon him. Honor his place of residence and make his entrance expansive. Wash him with water, ice, and snow. Purify him from sins just as a white garment is purified from filth. Replace his abode with a better one, his family with a better one, and his spouse with a better one. Uh, enter him into paradise and save him from the punishment of the grave and that of the fire. Um... Probably Western people are similar to Afghans on this point, but sometimes when you make this dua, people get a little bit offended. Uh, when it says, give them a better family than the family that they had, and give them a better spouse than the spouse that they had, and people get kind of offended. So the footnote here is good. Uh, footnote, he says, Ibn Abidin an mentions that what is meant by replacement of family and spouse is a replacement of their qualities, not a replacement of their entities, i.e. they will be the same people, yet with improved characteristics and traits. Which is a nice point. Inshallah. He then says the fourth takbir, followed by the closing two salams. One does not seek forgiveness in the janazah prayer for a deceased child or insane person, as neither bears legal responsibility. Rather, one says... O Allah, make him one who is sent forth on our behalf, as well as a reward and a stored treasure for us. Make him an intercessor for us, and accept his intercession. So that's very beautiful, you know. Um, that I never realized that until I had a case like that. And um, for some reason it slipped by me. You know, that's the thing about fiqh is a lot of times... When you're studying it, the details slip by you until you have experiences that fortify those details, right? So, when I was an imam here, uh, locally actually, I, I didn't really deal with the preparation of janazah very much because we have multiple mortuary um, services type organizations here. So, they basically handle everything. And um, then we just, the imams just basically usually show up at the time of the prayer and the burial and stuff. So we don't usually deal with the body. The only one time that I dealt with the body was there was a case of like people who were kind of on the fringes and I think there were some converts involved or something. And so somehow they called me um, and... Uh, Basically, this family had had a baby, and then uh, the baby um, passed away like 15 minutes after it was born. And so, somehow I got called in for this case, and like I went and I washed the body with them, and uh, it was really something. And then, uh, when I was talking to one of the imams about, you know, what do we do in these kind of cases, he... He's the one who, who reminded me of that. He said, that, look, you don't make dua for the child in these cases because the child is maghfur. The child is forgiven. And the child is not the issue at this point. The issue is the family, to make dua for the family, to, for them to have patience and so on. So it's a beautiful little point. Um, 
in a tragic, obviously, reality. The, um, uh, on a related note, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has many narrations talking about the merits and virtues of a person or a family that are patient over the death of a child. And um, some of that has been translated. There's a work, independent essay on the topic by Imam Suyuti that's been translated. I forget its exact title. We had translated a small piece with IOK Chaplaincy. I'm not sure that they ever put it out. Um, on That was written by Ibn Rajab. But, uh, you know, may Allah give us all patience in whatever we are decreed to deal with. Um, and make those trials and difficulties a means by which we attain His pleasure. Inshallah, I mean. وَإِنْدُفِنَ بِلَا صَلَاةٍ سُلِّيَ عَلَيْهِ عَلَىٰ قَبْرِهِ مَا لَمْ يَتَفَسَّخْ وَيُسَلَّى عَلَىٰ سِقْدِ إِنْ خَرَجَ أَكْثَرُهُ حَيًّا فَمَاتْ وَإِلَّا غُسِلَ وَأُدْرِجَ فِي خِلْقَةٍ وَدُفِنَ بِلَا صَلَاةٍ وَالْأَحَقُّ بِالصَّلَاةِ عَلَيْهِ السُّلْطَانِ ثُمَّ نَائِبُهُ ثُمَّ قَاضِ ثُمَّ إِمَامُ الْحَيِّ so he says If the deceased is buried without a funeral prayer Then it is to be performed over his grave Unless the body has disintegrated Which is known by estimation Funeral prayer is prayed over a miscarried fetus If most of it came out while it was alive Before dying Otherwise, the fetus is washed, wrapped in a cloth, and buried without a funeral prayer. Uh, on this latter point, that is, in the footnote, that is, by displaying some sign of life, such as crying, or movement of a limb, in that case the body is washed, and the funeral prayer is performed. Also, the baby would inherit, be inherited from, and be named. Otherwise, if there is no sign of life, the body is washed, given a name, wrapped in cloth, and buried without any funeral prayer. So those are two very relevant issues, by the way. They come up a lot. Um, and there's there's some good articles on Seeker's Guidance about this as well. Um, but, you know, that one comes up a lot. And then, also, this one is coming up now. If the funeral prayer is not prayed, uh, is not prayed, so the sometimes now people with the who are dying from COVID nineteen might Allah have mercy on them, give patience to their families. Uh, they're being buried without funerals sometimes because you can't get to them. Like the maybe the mortuary service is not allowing families to be there at the burial time. And if that is the case, then. Um, the janaza can be prayed after the burial. You know, maybe they bury the person. Maybe a day passes, you go, and you can do it. The most deserving of leading the funeral prayers is the head of state, followed by his representative, the judge, the local imam, and finally, the guardian or wali. So he says that the funeral prayer is not performed over rebels or highway brigands. That is, if killed in combat. If they are subdued by the government and then killed, the funeral prayer is performed over them. Um, Alright, so this is those people. It is permissible to wash and bury a non-Muslim relative without having to adhere to the Sunnah way of doing so. Alternatively, the body may be given to the people of his religion. 
One funeral prayer may be performed over an entire group of deceased, yet a separate prayer for each individual body is more preferable. When carrying the beer, it is recommended to first place the front right side, then the back right side on the right shoulder, followed by the front left side, and then the left, and then the back left on the left shoulder. In the footnote, that is, it is recommended that each carrier rotate around all four corners of the beer, holding each corner for 10 steps for a total of 40 steps. The carrier begins at the front right corner from the perspective of the deceased who is placed on his back with the direction of his head considered front and places it on his right shoulder. Then he moves to the back right corner of the bier where the right foot of the deceased is, also to be carried on his right shoulder. He then moves to the front left corner and lastly the back left corner, both of which he carries on his left shoulder. So these are like, that's like an edib thing. Don't make a stampede out of it because you're trying to do that. Um, uh, okay. وَيُسْتَحَبُّ الْإِسْرَاعُ بِهِ بِلَا الضِّرَابِ الْمَيْتِ وَالْمَشْيُ خَلْفَهَا أَفْضَلُ مِنْ أَمَامِهَا وَيُكْرَهُ رَفْعُ الصَّوْتِ بِالذِّكْرِ وَغَيْرِهِ وَالْجُلُوسُ قَبْلَ وَضْعِهِ وَيُحْفَرُ الْقَبْرُ نِصْفَ قَامَةٍ أَوْ أَكْثَرُ وَيُلْحَدُ وَلَا يُشَقُ إِلَّا فِي الْأَرْضِ الْرِخْوَةِ وَيَقُولُ وَاضِعُهُ بِاسْمِ اللَّهِ وَعَلَى مِلَّةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَيُوَجَّهُ إِلَى الْقِبْلَةِ عَلَى جَنْبِهِ الْأَيْمَنِ وَتُحَلُّ الْعُقْدَةُ وَيُسَوَى عَلَيْهِ لَحْدُ وَيُسَجَّ قَبْرُهَا قَبْلَ إِدْخَارِهَا فِيهِ لَا قَبْرُ وَيُحَالُ التُرَابُ وَيُسَنَّمُ وَيَحْرُمُ الْبِنَاءُ عَلَيْهِ لِلزِّينَةِ وَلَا بَأْسَ بِدَفْنِ أَكْثَرِ مِنْ وَاحِدٍ فِي قَبْرٍ لِلضُّرُورَ وَيُحْجَرُ بَيْنَ كُلِّينَ بِالتُرَابِ وَالرَّمْلِ وَلَا يَجُوزُ نَقْلُهُ بَعْدَ الدَّفْنِ إِلَّا أَنْ تَكُونَ الْأَرْضُ مَغْصُوبًا Okay. So he says, uh, It is recommended to move fast when carrying the body, yet not so fast as to cause it to wobble. It is more preferable to walk behind the procession than in front of it. It is disliked to raise one's voice with dhikr or the like, as well as to sit down before the body is lowered into the grave. Raising one's voice with dhikr or the like, such as Quranic recitation, is either prohibitively disliked, makruta hariman, or mildly disliked, makruta zihan. Both are mentioned by Ibn Abidin, without preference of either opinion. Instead, one should keep a prolonged silence or make the good to oneself. So, I don't know about the other schools, but that's what's mentioned here. A lot of times when you go to these burials and stuff, like there will always be some uncle who shows up and all of a sudden starts yelling, Wahidu! Salu ala nabi! And stuff like that. So everyone will start saying, La ilaha illallah, as they're carrying the body. But at least what's mentioned here, uh, again, I'm not sure of the other opinions. You don't do that. And then also sitting before the body is put into the grave is considered prohibitively disliked. Uh, the grave is dug in the shape of at least half a body's length in, uh, in the length uh, of at least half a body's length into the ground. It is dug in an L shape. Uh, the L shape is this lahad is the sunnah shape of digging a grave, namely that a hole is dug into the ground. and then within the hole at the side facing the qibla, a niche is dug into which the body is placed such that the body lies under a ceiling of earth. Um, at least for us here in California, you don't, you can't really do that. So, you know, <coughs> you do what you can. Uh, rather than straight down, except in soft earth. In which case, a straight grave can be used. Or a coffin may be used even. Otherwise, if there is no particular need, the use of a coffin is disliked, unless required by law. Uh, however, some dirt should be spread out on the floor of the coffin, if used, if one can do so. Um, 
The lowering, the the one lowering the body in the ground, says, in the name of Allah and on the way of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Bismillah wa ala millati rasulillah. The body is directed towards the qibla while on its right side, according to the Sunnah. So you do it if you're able to put the body on the right side. Usually, we like push some dirt towards the back of the right side to kind of hold it in place. Push some dirt under the head to hold it in place, uh, and then continue the burial. Um, The knots of the shrouds are untied, and unbaked unbaked bricks are laid against it, uh, against the niche, so it closes it off, and then it seals off the grave. The grave of a woman, not that of a man, is covered before her body is placed in it. Um, that is, in order to provide extra concealment, it is recommended to cover a woman's grave with a garment or sheet while her body is being placed therein until the unbaked bricks are laid against the niche. This does not apply for a man's grave unless done for another reason such as rain or snow. So, um, dirt is poured uh, into the grave and then rounded on its top with an elevation of a hand span or more to resemble the hump of a camel. Uh, it is prohibited to build a structure over the grave for the sake of decoration. The author does mention in his Imdad al-Fattah that some scholars deemed it's good to place some bricks or stones over the grave so as to protect it from being dug up. You can put some sort of like marker, but not to like build on it in a really extravagant way. If there is a legitimate necessity, it is permissible to bury multiple bodies in one grave. In that case, sand and dirt are used to make a barrier between each body. It is not permissible to transfer the corpse after its burial, once the grave has been filled with dirt, unless the land turns out to have been confiscated or stolen land. Um, in the footnote he says, As for transferring the body before its burial, there is no harm in it if, it, if, in it, if within a reasonable distance, which jurists estimated to be about 2.3 miles. This estimation was based on the fact that traditionally the graveyard of a town might have been that distance away from the town itself. From this reasoning, some scholars deduced that what is disliked is to transfer the body to another town altogether. Based on the latter opinion, even if the graveyard of a large city today is at a far distance from its city, it would not be disliked to transfer the body there, as opposed to transferring it to another city, which would be disliked. Mm-hmm. وَيُسْتَحَبُّ زِيَارَةُ الْمَوْتَى وَقِرَاءَةُ يَاسِينَ وَلَوْ جَالِسًا لَهَا لِمَا وَرَدَ أَنَّهُ مِنْ مَنْ دَخَلَ الْمَقَابِرِ فَقَرَأَ سُورَةَ يَاسِينَ خَفَّفَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُمْ يَوْمَئِذٍ وَكَانَ لَهُ بِعَدَدِ مَا فِيهَا مِنَ الْأَمْوَاتِ حَسَنَاتٍ وَيُكْرَهُ الْقُعُودُ عَلَى الْقَبْرِ لِغَيْرِ قِرَاءَةٍ وَالْمَشْيُ عَلَيْهِ وَقَلْعُ الْحَشِيشِ الرَّطْبِ uh, it is disliked to sit at graves for other than reciting the Quran or making dhikr, to step on them, um, uh, unless while reciting Quran, making dhikr, or praying for their inhabitants while walking on them. So you try to avoid it, but if you have to do it, then at least make some dhikr, make dua for them, so on. Uh, or to pluck out moist grass um, Since moist grass is always engaged in the glorification of Allah By which the deceased find repose And by which his mercy descends Subhanallah From the graveyard Okay So that's that section Then the last part here in the Jannah is, is the Bab of uh, the Shaheed The chapter on the martyr هُوَ مِنْ قَتَلَهُ أَهْلُ الْحَرْبِ وَالْبَغِي أَوْ قُطَّعُ الطَّرِيقِ أَوْ اللُّصُوصُ في منزله ليلا ولو بمثقل أو قتله مسلم ظلما بمحدد فيكفن بدمه وثيابه ويصلى عليه بلا غسل 
وتنزعوا عنه السلاح والدرع والفرو والحشو وغسل إن قتل جنبا أو صبيا أو ارت أو أو ارتث بعد انقضاء الحرب بأن أكل أو شرب أو نام أو تداوى أو مضى وقت صلاة وهو يعقل أو نقل من المعركة حيا لا لا بخشية وطء الدواب ولا يصلى على البغاة وقطاع الطريق ومن قتل بحد أو قصاص غسل So he says رضي الله عنه that a martyr is one who is killed by enemy combatants, rebels, highway brigands, or robbers in his house at night, even if killed by a heavy object, or one who is killed unjustly by a Muslim with a sharp object. So he says this section deals with martyrs in a legal sense, in relation to rulings of this life, such as not washing the body. With regard to the afterlife, only Allah Most High knows who will be among the martyrs, since the matter is based solely on one's intention, although it is hoped that these people will be granted that rank. However, there are many other ways of dying that are considered martyrdom with regard to the hereafter as related in numerous hadith. Um, dying of plague, drowning, so on. The martyr is buried with his blood and in his clothes. So this first paragraph is telling you there's a distinction between the people who have the ruling of a martyr as relates to the rules of burial and the person who has the ruling of a martyr as relates to the position in the hereafter. So this first category in the first paragraph, these are the ones that we're talking about here. The martyr is buried with his blood and in his clothes and is prayed over without being washed. His weapons, armor, winter coat, and padded garments are removed. If, however, he was killed while in a state of major ritual impurity or as a child, then his body is washed. The same is true for one whose death becomes prolonged after the battle ends, whether by eating, drinking, sleeping, being given medicine, having a prayer time elapse while being conscious, or being transferred from the battlefield while alive, unless out of fear of being trampled upon by animals. He says in the footnote, this prolonging of death is defined as either experiencing some comfort of life or becoming legally obligated to do something, namely the ritual prayer. The body of someone whose death was prolonged, quote-unquote, is washed. Anyone killed by legal by penal punishment, had, or, retali- or retaliatory punishment, is washed after death. Is washed after death. But these people, they're not, uh, you know, we do wash them. Uh, and we do do that, you know. Uh, Wallahu alam. So that's the last of what we'll cover in prayer, inshallah. Um, after this, I suggest that we read first the section from Ascent to Felicity on fasting because it's relatively short and then after that we can go through the PDF that um, the PDF that was uh, that I sent on the topic um, and then inshallah we will be done uh, uh, inshallah with 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 that Material, inshallah. So, any questions on this before we move on, or anything that comes to mind right now? Which chat? The chat box here. Oh, oh. Yeah. Um, so the first one is what about the concrete enclosements they put in the ground now? Um, we don't really have any choice over it, so we just go with it, you know. Uh, we're the same here in California. We have the same. I've seen some places where they don't. Like one time I was in, 
Charlotte and went to a burial there and they didn't have the same requirements actually it was pretty remarkable because the Muslims had a graveyard right across from the masjid and so like we were in the masjid we prayed the janazah we walked the body over we did the whole burial ourselves there weren't like any mortuary services or any you know any graveyard people there just the Muslim community who did the burial like how you'd see it in the books um, but in places where you have some sort of uh, legal requirements locally then you have to kind of comply with those <coughs> assuming the legal requirement is not cremation um, if it's cremation then we need to push our first amendment rights but that's illegal then that becomes a legal issue that's one of the conversations that's being had right now. Um, uh, also, what of the transportation of people wanting to be buried in their homelands? Is it pre is it preferable that they don't have such requests? So, you know, as you know, and as is mentioned here, the sunnah is to be buried as soon as possible and in the place that the person is in. Um, he doesn't go into extra detail here about moving other than what's mentioned in the footnotes. Uh... So my suspicion is that that's probably what there is in the school. There may be like uh, a dislikedness, a karaha, without hurma in some of the other schools. But I don't recall off the top of my head. Uh, and I know that it's come up before. And like we've counseled people on it and found uh, opinions that would allow that especially considering like our modern methods of burial and stuff so but the the issue is not only the preservation of the body but the issue is also the just that the the believer once they die you want to bury them and you want to pray over them and give them their rights and so on without delay unless there's some sort of need um that prevents that which you know being buried in one's homeland could possibly be a need if like you know it facilitates their visitation and stuff like that but um, I don't recall anything in the madhab other than what's mentioned in, in the book Allahu mm -hmm. As far as I know, yes, you should. W it's something that. Um, sorry, it's a recording, so I should. So the question is on embalming, and uh, outside of legal necessity, if someone is able to avoid it, should they do so? Uh, as far as I recall, they should not. Like they should avoid it. Um, but again, if there's a legal necessity, then there's a legal necessity. But if we're able to avoid it, you know, we bury the person as soon as we can without all of these delays and all of these additional issues um. yeah subhanallah I'm just thinking about one of the brothers who passed away here um, a couple of, it was probably a couple of years ago now he was a really elderly gentleman and he was a very pious person mashallah like he was a physician uh, but extremely humble, you know, like a Tablighi Jama'a guy. So his home had like nothing in it. His closet had almost nothing in it. And he was like very respected in his field, but very, very simple person. And he had, like the day before he died, basically he had called one of the Imams that he knew. And he told him that when you get a call about my death, even if it's in the middle of the night, even if it's almost Fajr time, then I want the ulama and the hafad only to wash my body, and I want to be buried that day, and uh, with no delays. You know, this is his his uh, wasiyah. And subhanallah, like the next day, he died at around three or four in the morning, and a couple of the local shiyukh went and 
washed his body and we prayed on him that day and buried him that day so this is uh, like you know that's that's the sunnah really um It also reminds me of the case of the the brother who I'll leave it anonymous, but some of you probably know the brother who we were with in Egypt, whose wife passed away while we were there, and um, she had told him Subhanallah before she passed away. Allah have mercy on her. She had told him that um, if she if she dies in the lands of like if she dies wherever she dies. Don't worry about moving her and stuff like that. Just bury her with the Muslims and pray on her, and like that's it. And so, when she died, rahimahullah, uh, we buried her there. And the the they have maqabir that are they have graveyards that are kind of like waqf for the students of Azhar and stuff like that. So, since the brother was studying at Azhar, they were able to get his wife into one of those, and you know. We buried her there and we prayed on her there. Allah have mercy on her. So, this is this is the uh, the Sunnah. وَلَا تَدْنِي نَفْسٌ بِأَيِّ أَرْضٍ تَمُوتٍ Nobody knows where they will die. You know. Allahu Alam. Allahumma ahsan khawatimana. Allah give us good endings wherever they might be. Inshallah. Ameen. Okay, alhamdulillah. Then let's go to the chapter on fasting. Chapter on fasting. Inshallah. Allahumma balighna Ramadan. Allahumma balighna Ramadan has never had meaning like it has this year. Subhanallah. Oh Allah, allow us to reach the month of Ramadan. Uh, so, here we are. Kitabu Sawm. Kitabu Sawm. Huwa al-imsaku an al-akli wa shurbi wa al-jima'i naharan biniyatin min ahni. وأقسامه ستة فرد وواجب ومسنون ومندوب ونفل ومكروه تحريما وتنزيها فالفرد رمضان أداء وقضاء والكفارات والمنذور في الأظهر والواجب قضاء ما أفسده من النفل والمسنون صوم عاشوراء المبارك مع التاسع والمندوب صوم ثلاثة من كل شهر والاثنين والخميس وست من شوال مفرقة والنفل ما لم تثبت كراهته والمكروه تحريما صوم العيدين وأيام التشريق والمكروه تنزيها كإفراد يوم السبت والنيروز والمهرجان إن لم يوافق عادته وَصَوْمٌ وِصَالِ وَكُورِهَا صَوْمٌ دَهْرٌ So he says رضي الله تعالى عنه وَأَنْضَاهُ The Book of Fasting The legal definition of fasting is to withhold from eating, drinking, and sexual intercourse during daylight hours namely from true dawn until sunset It is lawful for the one intending on fasting to continue eating until true dawn even if false dawn comes in. At true dawn, however, one must stop eating even if one is in the middle of the meal to the extent that even the morsel or sip in one's mouth must be expelled and not swallowed so as not to invalidate the fast. As for the hadith, this is all in the footnote. As for the hadith, if one of you hears the call to prayer while he is drinking, while his drinking vessel is in his hand, let him not place it down until have, having fulfilled his need from it. Indeed, the eminent masters of hadith have clearly stated that it is not rigorously authenticated by either of its two chains of transmission. However, what is meant by the call to prayer in the hadith is that of Bilal, radiallahu an, which used to be given well before true dawn, so as to alert people that dawn was approaching. It does not refer to the call of prayer at dawn, which was which used to be, for, be performed by Ibn Umm Maktoum, radiallahu an, this is of the utmost importance as unfortunately many people invalidate their fasts by eating or drinking past true dawn based on a gross misinterpretation of the above hadith. Um, finally, with respect to modern tables of prayer timings, the 18 degree time for Fajr is more precautionary and should therefore be used especially for fasting. 
an important footnote and an extensive footnote. So there's some things to say about it. Um, one is that this issue of this hadith and its interpretation. Uh, I believe it's Al-Albani who gave this interpretation. I tried to look this up because it was commonplace in like communities that we grew up in. Um, and meaning I grew up in from the age of 19 to 21. Um, and the... Uh, basically, there's no one that I could find in the classical tradition that held that opinion other than something that was referred to by Ibn Qayyim without ta'yeen. So Ibn Qayyim mentions the opinion and he says it was held by some of the some of the early Muslims. But he doesn't even say who it was. So this is a very weak opinion um, and should not be followed. And the interpretation of the hadith that's mentioned here in the footnote is the actual interpretation of the hadith in the books of hadith uh, which is where we're supposed to find those interpretations and the commentaries on them the other point here is about the Fajr time um, we've had locally some extensive conversations with astronomists and coupled with observation on this issue because uh, basically what it boils down to is that the observing of dawn is somewhat subjective Whereas the uh, occurrence of the rising of the sun is not. Like scientifically, we can be very pre precise about the rising of the sun. But when it comes to the occurrence of dawn, scientifically, it's very difficult to predict. And that's because th things as simple as like atmospheric conditions can actually shift that. So, and then latitude can shift that. A lot of different things can affect it. So to use one position for all around the country is not really um, super accurate. However, what he's saying here is still accurate. Because what he's saying here is that the 18 degree time is the one that's earlier. So he's saying that one should be followed for fasting. Um, so we should start our fast from that 18 degree time from the earlier one out of precaution uh, our our brothers locally some of the imams locally some of the young imams who also had like science backgrounds and you know tech majors and stuff like that before they studied sharia they did multiple trips to the desert here and independently positioned themselves and took camera footage and took notes and stuff uh, on trying to observe it so they took notes about when they thought it came in when they were pretty confident it was in and when they knew for sure it was Fajr time and then they compared their timings and then they compared those to the timetables and they found that actually the 15 degree time for our particular location was more accurate but it wasn't like some of the people did see Fajr come in slightly before that. So basically the recommendation that's given out here in Ramadan each year is that one should begin their fast from like a roughly 15 minutes, 20 minutes before the 15 degree time, which is a little bit after the 18 degree time usually. So 15, 20 minutes before the 15 degree time. But they should not actually pray the Fajr prayer until the 15 degree time comes in. So if one wanted to be like really careful about this, they would start fasting probably from the 18 degree time and they wouldn't pray until the 15 degree time. Um, I know that's a little bit, you know, some people are like, they want to eat their food and pray and go to sleep, you know? Um, but we don't live like in places where we can actually observe Fajr. So it gets kind of complicated. So that's all in that first line. The types of fasting are seven. Obligatory, mandatory, sunnah, recommended, voluntary, prohibitively disliked, and mildly disliked. The first category is the obligatory, the fard, which is the fasting of Ramadan during the month, as well as makeups. Um, those are both fard, fast of expiation, kafara. You know, those fasts where like you did something that you're not supposed to do in the sharia. And they're specifically mentioned that you have to fast to make up for that. And vowed fasts, mandhur, uh, the latter two according to the more apparent position in terms of strength. 
Um, he says in the footnote, the more accurate position in the school is that the fasts of expiation and vows are mandatory, wajib, rather than obligatory. So the kafara and the manzur fast would both be um, um, wajib and not fard. They would be wajib and not fard. Um, <coughs> mandatory wajib fast are the makeups of broken voluntary fasts. Makeups of broken voluntary fasts. So in the Hanafi school, if a person uh, starts a fast, then they are required to finish it. Like an optional fast, then they are required to finish it. If they break it, then they have to they they have to make it up wajiban wujuban. They have to wake it up. They're obligated to make it up. Three is Sunnah, the fasting of the Blessed Day of Ashura, along with the ninth, or with the eleventh. If the tenth is fasted by itself, it's mildly disliked. So the Sunnah is to couple it with each of these days. Fasting of Ashura, Ibn Abidin inclines toward considering it recommended Mandub or Mustahab. So they would kind of, that would kind of take away this category. Four mandub recommended fasting three days of every month, or Mondays and Thursdays, or six days of Shawwal, yet spread out, um, spreading uh, spreading them all out, meaning uh, like uh, you know not one after the other. But if they right after Eid finished, they did six straight away. That's acceptable. There's no karaha in it or anything else. It's just recommended to um, to them spread out. Uh, voluntary nafil, any other day of fasting, as long as its reprehensibility is not established. See next two categories. Number six, prohibitively disliked. Makru uh, tahriman, fasting on any one of the two days of Eid or the days of tashriq. Or the days of Tashriq, the th- so the 11th, 12th, the 13th of Dhul Hijjah. So fasting on Eid, prohibitively disliked. Fasting on days of Tashriq, prohibitively disliked. These are Ayyam, Aklu, Shurb. Prophet them said that these are days of eating and drinking and having fun and so on and so forth. They're not days of fasting. And number seven is mildly disliked, Makrut and Zihan, which is to single out. Um, that is not fasting a day before it or after it fasting on Saturday Friday he adds um, um, so there's some debate in the Medheb on Friday so he left it out but some of the other books include that uh, Nehruz or Maharajan which are spring and autumn holidays of the Persians so unless it happens to coincide with one's habit so if everyone fasts if someone fasts every other day if someone fasts monday and thursdays every week and those days fall uh, fall on a monday or a thursday then they can do that um, unless it happens to coincide with one's habit or to fast consecutively which is to fast for more for two or more days consecutively without eating in between Okay, so there's two words here. There's Somal Wisal and Somal Dahr. Uh, they're both mildly disliked. Um, which is, Somal Wisal is to fast multiple days, one on end, without breaking the fast. And Somal Dahr is to fast daily with breaking the fast every night. So, basically you eat one meal a day, every single day, in the evening after sunset, and you have intention to fast during those days. So you fast, you fast every single day, while eating only at iftar. Uh, this is mildly disliked as well. Wallahu um, alam. So we can. So this is a good place to stop uh, on the intentions of uh, the intention of fasting. So we'll continue here tomorrow, inshallah. Muhammad. Yes, please.
That's an interesting question. So the question to repeat it for the recording is that if a person is a, the person brother is a convert, he um, missed some fast in the early days of Islam, so he has some a number of fasts to make up, and his family observes Lent. So could he fast on the days of Lent? Uh, you know, happening to coincide with his family's fast and like, you know, they uh, eat together and stuff like that. I would lean towards that that being okay as long as um, it's not the only time that he's doing it and that he's doing it out of making up the obligatory fast that he's missed. Um, you know, so say he has two months to make up and he fasts some days before Lent and he fasts many days in Lent and he fasts some days after Lent, then I, I, I lean, I feel that that would be okay. If, however, he is, um, doesn't have fasts that he needs to make up, then I would try to align it with something else, like maybe a Monday or a Thursday, or the white days, or do like, you know, days here and there, but not really like the whole month, you know, um, because if you do the whole month, then that would seem kind of, there's too much tashabbuh in that, uh, yeah, you, like it's optional, meaning these are optional fasts now. And and in that and in that month he's gonna do the fast of Dawood theoretically yeah, maybe that would be okay. I'm just thinking out loud right now. I don't have like an actual fatwa on it, but that's yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 